1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 to 16. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. So the children have found their worksheets. There's worksheets up at the back if any uh, children want to do it. You ever had to prove your identity? Uh, I went yesterday to a birthday party at a local club that uh, was being organised and as you go in you've got to, got to sign in or otherwise show where you come from. They want your driver's licence. And I pulled out my driver's licence and gave it away. She said, this is no good, it was my credit card, it didn't work. Uh, but you know, your driver's license got your photo on and your dress and stuff. And um, you know, if you get a parcel that's uh, been, the post office drop, leaves a little card, you've got to go to the post office and collect the parcel because you went home. You gotta, you've got to produce your driver's license again with your photo ID, show where you live to see who you are, you prove your identity. I had to change some insurance on uh, some uh, house and content stuff because of uh, retirement. So I rang up Suncorp and again I had to prove my identity. I had to, you know, show not just my name, but uh, where I live. I had to do that awful thing of telling them my date of birth. I like to say 12th of January, but I don't like to give the year away because it reminds me of how old I am. Oh, oh, am I really? You know? um, do you ever find that too? Yeah, it's the, the year's the problem there, isn't it? But identity, it's really important. We have to prove it. Sometimes we, but I mean, I know who I am. I hope I do. Uh, and I just try and forget how old I am. But um, our identity is part of who we are. It means that we're Australian, it means we have, live in Hawkesbury, in the New South Wales, we have voting rights, we have certain other rights as citizens, but it's important to be able to know it and understand what our identity is. And it's the same thing because we have another identity that's even more important than this. It's our identity as children of God, in the family of God. Through Jesus Christ, we've been adopted into God's family. And now we have a new identity, a very important one. We're sealed by the Spirit, it's working in us and we're going to be taken to heaven and we're going to be transformed along the way but a big transformation when we leave this world and go to heaven. It's an important identity that we need to not only um, know that we've got but also recognise the impact on our lives because it's supposed to affect us straight away. We're no longer to live for ourselves, we're to live for the one we follow, the one we look to, and that's Jesus Christ to save us. This passage today is talking about that. It's talking about uh, our citizenship, our identity as members of the household of God, and uh, it's based on what Jesus Christ has done, and it's going to tell us about that today, what he's done for us. And that's the reason, that's the motivation, that's the, the energy behind uh, why Paul, when he writes to Timothy and the rest of the book about how to live in God's uh, church and God's family, uh, that's the reason behind that, the motivation, the energy source to do that. Let's have a look what it says in uh, chapter one, 3, verses 14 to 16. Now, if you're really... Um, an up-to-date member of the church family, you realise this is not the passage you're supposed to preach on today. And actually, I'm not, I'm not Jason Hazel either. 
Uh, You've got that identity issue worked out, have you? Okay. Um, I can prove prove who I am if you want to see. Um, Jason got called away. Something came up, he had to go away, and I've had to fill in as of yesterday, so this is pretty tight. It was next week's sermon, but it was brought forward, and thankfully it's... uh, yeah, it's been prepared a bit. Let's look at it. Verse 14. I hope to come to you soon. I'm writing to you these instructions so that... So he's writing instructions to Timothy. Uh, he's had to send him off to Ephesus. He hasn't been able to follow him up. It's important that Timothy, who's in a rather challenging spot, there's things going on, this new church, and uh, Paul wants to encourage him and help him gives him instructions how the church is to conduct itself. Uh, Conduct itself as in the meetings, but also as in life in the Ephesus area. And so what's happening in here, this is really applicable to us today. Uh, We're God's people and it's applicable to how we're going to live together, how we're going to live in our lives in the Hawkesbury. It's applicable to us. Verse 15. If I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The household of God. Households are important. If you go to someone's household and it's not yours, uh, there's certain things to bear in mind. Maybe you take your shoes off at the door. Maybe, you know, you. I know I go to some households. I go to some households I know in winter, they're going to have their fuel stove with the heating so hot that if I go there all rugged up, uh, I'm going to boil so I came layers and uh, if you come to our household you know it's the reverse that we used to be in a cold climate so we put layers on and don't have much heating and Kathleen knows that if she comes she's got to rug up some other people do so different households different ways of doing things but I'll turn the heater on for Kathleen don't worry um, so some things are different aren't they and it's good to know what's applicable in your household because if you go on home stage if you travel and, and one of the common thing is now do a homestay and you go and stay with local people and when you stay with local people you've really got to fit in with how they live their life of uh, you know when they have their meal times and what they eat and where they sleep and all those sort of things to try and fit in with them now you can come and say i'm paying you money i'll just do what i want but it'll make it a pretty awkward homestay and you won't enjoy it and they won't and it will not really work very well. But if you can understand how to fit in, it can be a great experience. What about the household of God? If God's got a household, do you think he's the sort of person who has a certain way he wants things done? Yes. And would it be good for us to understand what's going to please him? Yes. And so this household of God is a, is a good idea to think about it because it's his house. We have no rights there to say what's going to happen. I know as we've been in the church a long time, we sort of think, hang on, I've been in the church a lot of years, so I've got certain rights to say how things happen. Well, you have some rights, but in the end God has the main rights to say what's going to happen. And we need to keep, we all need to keep remembering that. What does God want done? The world outside says, hey, you've got to change, you've got to do this, you know, you're not keeping up with uh, culture and uh, progress and you're back in the dark ages. Is that right? Would God want that to happen? It's important to remember it's God's household. What does he want? It says about God, about conducting ourselves in God's household, it goes on to say that he's a church of the living God. 
That's really important because Timothy's dealing with false teachers here. They've got all these pretend gods, these made-up gods. They're not real, but people follow them. They sound good and people follow. But the God that we have in the Bible, the God whose household we belong to, is a living, real, live, active God, powerful. He's a God who's revealed himself as a person to the nation of Israel, but most of all, he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he's a God that we can look clearly to him, okay, he is God, not some other thing that no one else has seen. He's living, he's real, he's a relational God. He wants us to relate to him in a right way. It also says, the pillar of foundation of the truth. The church is the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church, the people of God, the assembled group, is the pillar and foundation of truth. Well, pillars are built on a foundation, so let's start with a foundation. What's a foundation? I know if you've been in a really high-rise building, an observation part, and you're way up there in the you know, 30, 40, 50 floors or whatever is even higher, and when you're up there, the building starts to move. It sways. You're looking at the horizon, the horizon. Have you ever been up there like that? To me, at that moment, that foundation of that building is all so important. I'm just thinking, how good is this foundation? And not just the foundation, but how good are the pillars? How good is the structure going up? To me, the foundation and pillar are so vital when this building is moving in the wind. You know what I mean? Well, it's saying here about the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. What gives us our strength, what gives us our integrity as a building, as uh, the stability to withstand whatever's going on, um, what means that we're not going to fall over when there's something happens, we're going to last, is the truth. The truth is found in Jesus Christ. The truth of Jesus is in John chapter 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth and the life. Jesus is the way to God, the only way because he died on the cross. He's the truth that we all sin, we all fail to, re- to uh, meet God's standard of being perfect. We're never going to earn our way to heaven. We need forgiveness. We need Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and he's the life. He's the only source of eternal life. There's a hymn that does, I re- think about the foundation. The old hymn goes, The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. You remember that one? It's a great hymn. I mean, all these hymns and songs that remind us of the truth of the Bible. And that one reminds us of the truth that the foundation of who we are is our Lord Jesus Christ, who he was and what he's done for us. And because it's true, it's going to stand firm. Yeah, other, other theories can come up and, and other things can be thought of and developed and stuff, but down through the centuries, for almost 2,000 years now, the truth of Jesus has endured. It remains the same. It's unchanging. It's something that we can rely on. And this idea of God's solid foundation is also spoke about in, by Paul in the second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, where he talks a little bit more about this foundation idea. It says, 
Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. This subscription, this this idea of God's foundation, of us being a pillar, being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and it's true because, and it's reliable because, God knows who are his. God has called us to be part of his family. God has worked in us and continues to work in us today and will continue to work in us tomorrow and every other day until we get to heaven, until we're safely home, God is working in us. And he knows, not only he knows just our name, but he knows every single thing about us. He knows the medical struggles that might come up. He knows the worry and anguish. He knows the relational problems. He knows the work problems. He knows everything that's going on now and will happen tomorrow and happen the next day and every other day. He doesn't just know, he cares. And he's a compassionate God because he wants to help us. He wants to get us through these things. He's a God we can rely on. And our response to all this should be, Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord Jesus must turn away from wickedness. Knowing what God has done for us in Jesus Christ's death to pay the punishment for our sins to save us, knowing that God continues to work in us to transform us, we are people who want to turn away from anything that's contrary to what God wants us to do. We want to please God. We want to honour him and obey him and submit to the leadership of Jesus Christ. We want to have and show we have a changed life. And that goes on to talk about, in verse 16, a mystery. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. Godliness. Godliness can be thought of in the, in the sense of God being right and good and, and being right with God and good with God. And godliness can be just, just living a right life before God. And the mystery, it's been a mystery up till now because people in the Old Testament just ha- didn't know how to do it. Uh, we couldn't obey the laws, we couldn't keep the laws and be godly and right with God. Something else needed to happen. And the mystery is all found in the person of Jesus Christ who is now described in this very ancient hymn. This, what we're seeing in verse 16 was an ancient hymn that people used to sing to remind themselves of the truth of what Jesus has done, of who he is and what he's done. Look what it says. He appeared in a body. Jesus is God made man, fully God, fully man. We call it his incarnation in the Bible, fancy word. Uh, But he had real flesh, he had real skin, he bled, he ate real food. He had all of just a normal human body. He he sweated, he he was tired from work, uh, just the normal things. But yet, he was God. He could do things that only God could do. Controlling the weather, disease, threatening storms, people needing food, relational issues, knowing what's going on in people's lives, what's happened over years, what the problem is right now. He could just do it all. He was God. So he appeared in the body, in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. 
The Spirit came on him in the form of a dove at his baptism. The Holy Spirit in Matthew 12, 28 says it enabled Jesus to drive out demons and do miracles. And then in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit was at work in the life of Jesus. And also it says, and then goes on to say, he was seen by angels. Angels are principalities and powers who are believed to rule the unseen world. Angels are sent ones from God who come to deliver a message or do what God or act as God directs. They don't want us to worship them. They want us to focus on God very clearly. And we see angels. We see angels coming when a shepherd and the angels came at the birth of Jesus Luke 2, we see in Mark chapter 1, verse 13, the temptation of 40 days and angels, after that, angels attended Jesus. We see in Luke twenty two forty three, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died, when he was in anguish and praying and, and wrestling with the whole fact that he was going to experience the wrath of God, the anger of God for our sins. The only time ever that he saw that other side of God in that perfect relationship an angel attended him. He died in Luke 24, verse 23. It says that after Jesus had risen, an angel appeared at the tomb and told the women that Jesus was alive and risen from the dead. In Acts chapter 1, verses 10, 11, when after 40 days Jesus ascended into heaven, an angel said at that time to the disciples who witnessed that, that he'll come back from heaven the same way you saw him go. Angels. There's more references, but that's some of the, what they're doing. It could mean that. It could mean that angels, you know, seen by angels doing things to help Jesus. But it also could mean the other side, there are fallen angels. There are angels who rebelled against God and trying to destroy God's plan, the devil, Satan, and all his team, demons you might call them. And they're fallen angels and they're out to destroy what God has done. And you see, in Jesus... They think they've got a great victory because they've got the Jews all rolled up against Jesus to the point where they bring him to Pilate and they want him to be crucified and, and uh, Pilate doesn't know where to go trying to get out of it and Jesus doesn't answer anything and so they think, hey, we're on a winner. Jesus is done. We're going to get him killed here. Great. And he dies on the cross. They're saying, yeah, we won. But then it's all over. God's plan to save us has come in. Jesus bore our sin. And Jesus rises again from the dead. And when he rises, they suddenly realise their whole plan has been undone. Their whole plan has been directed by God and they've been blindsided. And now God has saved the world through Jesus. And maybe that's what it means by seen by angels. Either one. Then it goes on to talk about preached among the nations. The full manifestation of Jesus is who's been seen by angels, is now being preached in the world and people are hearing about Jesus, the God-made man who came to save people. He's the Christ, he's God's king, he's a Hebrew Christ, a Jewish Christ, but now he's the Christ for all nations, for all people. Preached among the nations, believed on in the world, people are responding to Jesus. They're responding to what it says in chapter 2, verse 15. Chapter, two verse, chapter 1, verse 15, where it says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. People are responding to that. 
They're recognizing they've been convicted by the Spirit. They recognize their sin. They're seeing Jesus the only way to be saved. And people are responding in faith to Jesus, seeking forgiveness and making him the leader of their life. And they're seeing people transformed, changed, passing from death to life. And they're now so strengthened by faith they're prepared to suffer and even die because they follow Jesus. People believing in the world. And finally, he was taken up in glory. His ascension back to heaven, seen by his disciples, Acts chapter 1, verse 10. Satan did want to destroy God's plan, his ascension after his death and resurrection, with people responding in faith, is a fitting climax to this hymn. Because Christ is triumphant. He's fully completed his saving mission in the world. He's returning to God, whose plan it was. This hymn is designed to just encourage us to have another look at Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and be excited about it, be motivated about it. We want to live in his household, in his family, conducting ourselves in a way that pleases God. And that's what true godliness is. And it's based on a right foundation, a right mind that understands who Jesus is and what he's done, and a right emotion, a heart that comes from that. It'll shape what we do and who we are and how we respond in the world. Yeah, as I was reading this, I think, oh, I haven't seen the angels. We couldn't see an angel, wouldn't it? It'd be encouraging. But that's not what it's all. I'd rather, rather than seeing angels, and you might want to see angels too, what about seeing Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? I hear people sort of having a vision of Jesus. I haven't had that. I wonder what that would be like. But you know where I see Jesus over and over and over? When I look at the Bible and I read about him, I read about the eyewitnesses here. It gives me that constant picture of Jesus, of who he is, of how great he is, of how wonderful what he's done for me and for us is. And having a clear picture of Jesus and keep reinforcing that picture, looking to the Bible, what's it telling me about Jesus? Is the way to keep going forward, a driving force behind being godly in the world. We've adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. We now have a new identity. We're children of God. We're a part of his household. We're part of his family. We're heirs of eternal life. And let's learn and accept that and commit to that. And let's obey God and want to conduct ourselves in his family in a way that pleases him. Let me pray. God, forgive me, forgive us, the times we forget our identity. We just get so worldly, we're focused on what's happening now, who we are in the world. Father, we forget that we've got another identity, more important identity. We're children of God. We're in the family of God. And Lord, help us to remember that and, and help that to help us just to be in awe and wonder that you would reach out and choose us and, and call us and, and work in us that we might follow Jesus and that we might be adopted to your family and help us to have some understanding, some sense of the privilege of that, of the importance of that. And Lord, that we might be people who just have a joy of being saved, a joy of being in your family. 
you might go forward in the world with confidence and strength knowing we're your people. You know us. We belong to you. We can trust and rely on you. We pray in your name. Amen.